This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 47. This is Writing Excuses, screenwriting and the writer's room with J.D. Payne. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And we are joined by screenwriter extraordinaire, or maybe ordinaire, I'm not sure, J.D. Payne. <laughs> Wait a minute, is there someone else who's supposed to be on this panel? I don't know. Yes, yes. <laughs> J.D. Payne, yes. Hi, how are you doing? Good to meet you. J.D., tell us about yourself. Um, so I grew up in Washington, D.C. I attended college in Yale University, graduated with a bachelor's in English, um, and uh, served a mission for my church in Rome, Italy. Uh, then uh, moved out to Hollywood in 2006, got an agent in 2008, um, had my first screenplay sale in 2010, quit my day job in 2011, um, which was a joyous, wonderful moment. It's like the moment in Ben-Hur when he finally gets out of the, the slave galleys. Um, <laughs> And uh, then uh, I've been working basically on assignment ever since. Um, I've done a couple that I've been really lucky to, to get involved with. Um, I wrote an early draft of Star Trek Beyond. Um, I'm, my co-writer and I, uh, Patrick McKay, are writing, uh, currently writing Star Trek IV. Um, we worked on a reboot of Flash Gordon that's currently at Fox, being directed by Matthew Vaughn. Um, we worked on an X-Men TV show uh, that uh, didn't really come, didn't come together at the end of the day, but it was for Fox and was really fun to work on also. So... I've been working with a bunch of different IP and, and some brands that are near and dear to people's hearts and have had a great time and been really lucky. That is awesome. Yeah, that's now when I when I said, you know, or perhaps ordinaire, um, <laughs> that is by no means a dig. We are fascinated by, our readers are extremely interested in the screenwriting process, uh, the, the writer's room. This is something that as uh, uh, as novelists, as prose authors, many of us have little or no experience with. Tell us about it. What, how, how, is it how, does it even, how does it even work? Uh, well, I mean, there's a, a couple different layers in which I can answer that. I mean, there's a writer's room that is just you by yourself as a writer doing your thing. There's a writer's room if you have a writing partner in which you're collaborating and that you need to come together and, and figure out how to, how to work together and how to um, bring something from being an idea to being a completed screenplay. Um, there's a writer's room where it's you, your writing partner, and a bunch of people around, doing a roundtable on a script. There's writer's rooms that are for TV in which you can have you know, a dozen-ish people that are all, all together, which you have showrunners and staff writers and show creators and sort of, you know, kind of everyone, everyone coming together. Uh, there's writer's rooms that are when it's you taking notes from producers or from um, people at the studio. Uh, so there's a lot of different rooms you're in as a writer. And, and you're, the uh, one sort of thing I could sum up and say that your job in all of them is to be delightful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely think that that's a great way to sum it up. Um, I had the chance to uh, work in the writer's room on a show for BYU TV, which I think by this point you can actually watch. So if you have access to BYU TV, it's called Extinct, and I was a staff writer on it. Um, And first of all, it's intensely collaborative. And coming from novels, I was not expecting it. But really, you're right. Your your job is to be delightful. Your job is to entertain the rest of the writers. Because if you can entertain these bitter, jaded writers who've seen it all and are sick of it, then you know you're going to entertain the audience. What are you talking about? There's no bitter, jaded writers. (laughs) Well, and it, it also, it doesn't matter how good you are if no one wants to work with you. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, so that, that's something that, um, that my mentor ta- told me back when I was in theater, and I was working on Lazy Town, and there were, there were a couple of writers who went through, one of whom was delightful. He was very good at his job. He was kind, and he turned things in on time. 
And there was another writer who was very good, not always kind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, turned things in on time, but he didn't get invited back. At, at the funniest phone call just recently, I, I'm not going to name names, but we're, we were considering working on a project and we sort of were doing some initial thoughts on, on a pitch with uh, with someone. And uh, the, the call was one of those ones that sort of goes sideways. And the person on the other end of the phone was was a little bit brusque. And the producer called us like two minutes after the phone call ended and said, so that person's a little bit maybe on the spectrum a little bit. And, you know, so we just want you to know that that wasn't about you. That was more about them. And we'd love you to keep working on this project. Um, <laughs> wow. So yes, people, people definitely notice when, you know, you're uh, less than personable in any of those situations. You know, it's funny because we've, we've had this discussion about, uh, about breaking into comics and the way it, uh, the way it, it's, it's an equation. You can be the very, very best at what you do. You can always be on time. You can be great to work with. Mm-hmm. Pick two, mm-hmm. okay? Um, if you don't pick great to work with, you really do have to be the very best at what you do. Uh, since it's so hard to be that good, err on the side of putting a few points in charisma. It's not a dump stat. <laughs> yeah, and, and a, a lot of times this, what this comes down to is, is not sucking up to people. It's just keeping your ego out of the way. Mm-hmm. Like if you're mm-hmm. coming in and thinking, I am the best person who has ever walked into this room and trying to demonstrate that, you're just going to annoy people. Humility is such an important part of every single step in the writing process. If you come in thinking you have the answers, then the thing is partially dead already and because part of what makes writing exciting and, and worth doing is it's an adventure. You're, you're starting off with a general end in mind. I mean, you know you want to go to El Dorado. We're all going to El Dorado and you have a basic map of how you're going to get there. But, you know, exactly who you're going to go, who, what, 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 who's the captain of the ship that you're going to meet as you're on the river on the way to El Dorado. And, you know, who's, who's the crazy sidekick who you're going to pick up in the village, who's going to help your resupply. Um, you know, and that's the adventure of, of, of these people. And, and a lot of times, you know, in, as you're working with, with producers and, and directors and with studio people, you, you need to remember sort of what your role is uh, in, in the larger, larger process. Um, it can be really, I think, terrifying to be someone who's an executive and knowing that you're trusting your future job to the delivery or non-delivery of, of a writer who's working with you on something. So, you know, your job as a writer is to be a steady hand at the wheel and, and to come in and, and let them leave that meeting feeling really, really good about knowing that it's, it's in your hands, you've got it, you're going to take notes, you're going to work with them, and you're not going to stop until it's done. And you're not going to let your ego get in the way of, of making everyone be able to come together on something. Yeah, the uh, kind of collaboration, one of the great things about a writer's room collaboration is that by the time the episode is done or by the time, you know, the movie is done, you really can't, in most cases, look back and say, oh, I came up with this idea and he came up with this one and she came up with this one because you're all throwing ideas at each other. And if you're able to put that ego away and build each other up and work with those ideas to make them great rather than just keeping score, that makes the end product so much better. And I'm, I'm just going to flag for people who are not interested in screenwriting that this is actually something for if you are collaborating with a fellow writer for a novel, or partner writing, that this kind of collaborative thing and keeping your ego out of the way is a very useful skill. 
Yeah, and, and uh, frankly, it's useful skill in life in general also. Um, and, and any Accurate. Rela- and any relationship, you're going to have differences. And, and um, there's a couple things that I, I've learned. So I've been working with my current co-writer, um, the only co-writer, co-writer I've really ever worked with since high school. Um, and it's, it's the business or creative equivalent of marrying your high school sweetheart. Um, you know, and I just feel so lucky to, to have found him. And I don't know how I would go about, like, even thinking about, like, you know, what would people do if you were in your 20s? Like, like, like partner date? Like, do you like date to see, could we write together? I don't even know. Like it's, it's, it's such a natural organic thing at this point, but there's a couple of things that, that, you know, we talk about that has been really helpful for us. Um, one of them is uh, it's a game actually used by improv comedians called yes. And, um, and you know, we're, we're kind of doing it on this panel a little bit, even as mm-hmm. we're talking as someone will throw something out and so say, yes. And, and and you sort of use that as a graceful transition into the next thought. And it becomes a little bit like slalom skiing, you know, each of you sort of like takes it in a slightly different direction, but you're always moving downhill. If someone says no but, suddenly the energy dies and it's like crashing as a skier and suddenly like everything has to start over again. I just, uh, I'm going to, for our longtime listeners, flag that this is different than the uh, yes but no and that we use to, uh, about how to create conflict in Mm -hmm. a story. Um, This is about how to reduce conflict, which is why it is yes and. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and one of the things when I was in improv is that what they say is that 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 yes is I am not going to deny your reality. I am going to add to your reality and find ways to keep this moving forward. Absolutely. And and there's ways even to do it where you're going to, even if you're going to go 180 degrees in the other direction, you can say, yes, that's really interesting. What if I, what if we sort of turn that on its head actually, and, you know, look at it from sort of the other way and do it like this. That way you're sort of saying, hmm, what you just said contributed to this sort of creative pot that we're all working with and gave me an idea. I'm going to take that idea and now sort of like t- take, it, take it in this direction. And so you're, you're not just sort of like stopping things cold and, and restarting somewhere else. You're sort of including the idea and helping nurture it along to where it's going. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's, uh, let's pause for our book of the week. Do we have... Uh... We do. The book of the week is Boilerplate by Paul Guinan and Danina Bennett. And I think you're going to tell us a little bit about why you think it's fantastic. I, I love Boilerplate. We, we adapted it as a screenplay for, uh, for Bad Robot a couple of years ago. And um, as soon as we read the graphic novel, we fell in love with it. It's, so it's, it's a little peculiar in terms of its format. It's a little bit like John Stewart's America. It, it's sort of like a faux history book of American history and uh, where they've taken this steampunk-esque robot and kind of Photoshopped him into all of these different historical situations. So... <laughs> You'll see Boilerplate hanging out with, like, Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders or with, like, Tesla or, you know, with Pancho Villa and all these sort of turn-of-the-century luminaries or, you know, historical figures. And, and uh, the robot goes on all these, these various adventures, and, and uh, it's just very whimsical, uh, a wonderful, wonderful book. Okay, I've got, a, uh, I've got another process question. I'm very familiar with this, uh, this collaborative environment where you're bouncing story ideas or business ideas or cooking ideas back and forth. Um, how, how does it work when you, when, when do you sit down in front of the keyboard and just make all the words happen? And are you talking to each other at that time? Are people looking over your shoulder while you write? Because it's terrifying to think <laughs> about. Well, so a, a lot of the work of a writer, in particular the screenwriter, uh, at least half of the job is politics. 
Um, and half of the job is getting everyone on the same page with that creative vision. And some of the tools of the yes and is what it, 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 that's one tool you use. There's other tools of active listening that I won't get into as much now. But, you know, there's all these tools that you use to get people on the same page. And sometimes that can take weeks. Sometimes it can take months. Um, sometimes it takes years. But, I mean, like, it takes a long time to sort of get everyone involved from your writing partner to the producers to the studio, everyone on the same page. Once they finally are on the same page, you, you get commenced. And that's when, you know, they've said, all right, we're going to pay you whatever your lawyers, lawyers negotiated. And now you're going to go write. Um, and as soon as that has happened, then it's the part where it's now finally just you and the page. And, and with my co-writer and I, and it, it works differently for everyone, but for us, we've sort of done this, this job of getting this shared vision together. And then we just sort of start dividing it up and say, look, you felt like you had a great, you know, sort of sense for act one. You had a great sense for the act one climax leading to act two. Like, and I had a great sense for act three. Let's just, you know, so we just sort of divide and conquer and we, we start writing a, a treatment. And basically we say, when, when something is about a 20 minute pitch verbally, it's, it's time to go to treatment, time to go to the page. Once it's about a 30 to 40 page treatment, it's time to turn it from a treatment into a screenplay, which is a different kind of document. So each one sort of has its limits. And we, we, we speak in terms of pregnancy, where I was like, all right, this one is nine months pregnant. It's ready to come out into the world. It's ready to stop being a pitch. It's ready to be a treatment now. It's ready to stop being a treatment. It's time to be, be a screenplay now. And, um, okay, you, no. you just described a format I'm unfamiliar with. Okay. I know what screenplay format looks like. Um, and, and, and I know what a pitch conversation kind of looks like. What is a treatment? Um, a treatment is a... It's, it's, a very, it's a very detailed outline. Yeah, uh, it basically, uh, the treatment is the short story version. Yeah. I, back when I was years ago in a, in a small TV production company, the, the treatment is what I would today call a proposal. Yeah. Uh, when I'm trying to say, okay, editor, here's what my next book or series is going to be about. And, you know, it's a long thing. Descriptions of the characters, descriptions of the world, descriptions of the kinds of stories we can tell within it. Um, that kind of thing. A sense of where the scene breaks are and things like yeah. that. And, and actually, I, I'm going to back up because you think you know what a pitch is like, but having seen an actual Hollywood pitch, uh, the pitch session is nothing like what we do in fiction. So can you describe a little bit about what it's like to be pitching something? Because it's a fascinating thing. Um, you know, every, every pitch is a little bit different. Uh, I, I went in once and pitched an, an actor um, and, and I, I won't name, name names of them because this I understand you have a wide, wide listenership. But um, we, we went in and uh, the satire had just come in and uh, it, it just exercised and was, was like kind of all sweaty and like you know, just like sat down and I went like this. And then looked at us and said, go. Um, and, and so we, we were just like on. We had to like just start. Da, 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 da. You, you start sort of tap dancing and, and, and doing your thing. Um, and but every single one is different. I mean, we've had pitches where we prepared about 20 minutes of material and you get in and there's a studio head who she's, you know, comes in and, and he or she says, all right, I've got five minutes uh, before my next me- meeting. Go ahead. And you have to take what was 20 minutes and make it into five minutes. And so you sort of, you have to know your story so well that you could give them the three-word version. You give them the 3,000-word version. They might want to keep going. You give a 40-minute version if they really, because sometimes they're going to, well, wait a minute. That little bit of story logic you pitch doesn't make sense. And you have to have five answers for, you know, sort of, oh, well, there's going to be another scene here or another thing here that's going to make it work. And so you have to just really have a mastery over your subject and then just come in ready for battle and to know whatever length of time they have. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to go back to, to one of the things that Howard asked about, um, you know, at what point do you actually sit down and write? In TV, at least, you might never sit down and write. Uh, you look at the credits of a TV episode and it will list written by or lead writer. That is the person who wrote the words on the page. And everyone else in the room is listed as a staff writer which means that they just kind of sat around and brainstormed and came up with cool stuff. Working on Extinct, I'm a staff writer. At no point did I ever actually contribute prose to it. Um, And sometimes, you know, it might take you a few years 
depending on some of the stories and war stories I've heard, before you will get to the point where they say, hey, kid, why don't you take lead on this episode? And then all of a sudden, you're, this is your big break because gonna, you get to write We're going to let you touch the keyboard now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it can, it can take a while. And some of it depends on sort of where you come in. You know, if you've had success in features, you might be able to come into TV at a slightly higher level where you're not having to sort of start at the, at the, the bottom floor again. Um, you know, but if you're starting off as like, you know, a, a writer's assistant or a PA or something, then you're going to have to sort of work your way up each, each sort of rung of the ladder or step of the food chain or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you one of my favorite questions. What is the proudest you've ever been of a solution you had to come up with for a terrible problem? Ooh, I like this question. I should have told him that I was going to ask that earlier because it's, it's kind of a stumper. It's a difficult one. And in some ways, like I want to go back to what Dan said earlier on, where like the, the best solutions, you don't even really remember who came up with it. You just remember that it happened. Um, I mean, you know, there are times where we've had, you know, it's, it's always like in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where they say we're, we're, we're one step away from, from solving the, the mystery that has, you know, baffled mankind for, for two millennia. And, and Indy says, well, that's usually when the ground falls out from under your feet. Um, <laughs> you know, that happens with every single movie project. There's this moment where like it's either going to go or it's not going to go. And often right at that moment, either like someone like high in the food chain, like the director or the studio or, or someone will, will give a note that just like, you know, you, you get sort of deer in the headlights moment where you're, you're just like, I don't know how I'm going to possibly feel that note. Like that entirely destroys the back half of the movie. Or, <laughs> no ninjas. It's now a Western. <laughs> I mean, yes, like that, 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 that happens. Like, you know, like um, and, and um, you know, so I, I can talk more about the, the the best way to react to that more than I can any specific thing. But like uh, Craig, Craig Mazin, who's a sort of you know, a well-regarded screenwriter, does his own podcast, uh, Script Notes with, with John August. Um, he talks about as, as a writer, the only thing that you can really control when you're in those situations is your pain. Um, you, you can't control the, the note that's being given. It's being, the note has been given and you have to grapple with it now. But you can control you know, whether you sort of are a diva about it, whether you like get up in hissy fit and say, fine, I quit. And whether you allow it to sort of spiral you into this sort of like place of miseries where you can't create anymore, like that's on you as a writer. And so I would say that the proudest I've ever ever been of myself as a writer is the times when between my co-writer and I, we were able to sort of take one of those potentially like movie torpedoing notes and respond to it by sort of putting our pain to the side and doing what we do, which is be screenwriters, go figure out how to completely like shift, you know, sometimes overnight and come up with a totally new act three in a course of three days. Outstanding. I love, I love that answer. <laughs> yeah, it's that it's good life advice. Yes. Uh, who's got our writing prompt? Uh, that, JD again? Y- yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, they asked me to come up with one right before the panel started. I, th- I thought about it for a minute. and um, Describe a character using only visual cues or in- introduce a character using only visual cues in 20 words or less. And if you can, do it in like five words or less. Like I'm, there, I, there's a couple of great descriptions I've read in, um, in screenplays where you know, they'll say you know, Palmer, comma, a bloodshot soul. And that's like the only description of the guy. Um, you know, and it's like another one I liked was, um, uh, you know, it's like, you know, was it Smith, Superman with a hangover? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like, and like you instantly get those characters, you know, and so like. The pithier you can be, the better. Um, and in, in screenplays, every word is your enemy. I think short story writing is probably similar. Like every word you write is an opportunity for them to get off board. So particularly with your character introductions, if you can instantly get them on board with knowing who this person is, then that's half the battle. Uh, awesome. that's, that sounds like such good practice that I think they should do it a for couple each of, times. of their characters <laughs> uh, and, and see how short they can get them. Yeah. 
Listeners, this has been Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.